everybody, and welcome to Comic Club, your friendly neighborhood comic book podcast. This is the show where we read a graphic novel and comic and break it down each month. But this is our in-between episode. This is our Beyond the Panels, and we are recording today live from Budapest. Budapest? Budapest. Budapest. Whatever it is, you know what we're talking about today. That's right. It's Disney, Marvel's Black Widow. I am Blaine McGaffigan, and I'm joined, as always, by Adam, Adman Cook. What is up, Adam? How are you doing? What's the latest? Hey, Blaine, I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here, as always, and I was just happy to get back into the theaters, man. Yeah, dude. Gosh, the theaters, the popcorn. Tell me about your experience seeing Black Widow. How did you see this thing? I, you know wanted to go see it in theaters and so um i just kind of did a little classic classic single guy solo trip and spur of the moment one morning it was like a sunday morning right after it had been released um just made a little quick dip out to the theater because uh, well you know if i can reveal a little bit i want a little back i don't want to put you on blast here <laughs> go for it bro but i'm gonna have to put fiona on blast no i'm just kidding. yes Blaine and I had plans to go see this together, Comic Club first. It was going to be a momentous occasion, but as so often happens, life gets in the way. Um, life finds a way, and uh, we had to just we had to cancel. Had a little sickness over in the McGaffigan household, right. and so we we just couldn't make it happen. And that's you know that happens sometimes. So I went and uh, later in the week and or that next weekend. Saw it solo, just me in the theater, zoning out, hoodie up, no no interference. What? How did you take this one in? Yeah, that's right. Little backstory is, you know, me and Adam are in different locations, and I was so excited to go see it. And then the night before, my daughter just starts coughing, and I'm like, all right, you know, Poor girl, but really poor me because I wanted to go to the theaters. Come on, Fiona. Anyway, um, we had to cancel that, but it's it all worked out. We're recording this one a week behind because Adam was able to slot in his screening that very weekend. But because of the sick baby, I had to push it back. I could have watched this on Disney Plus, Adam. You know, my I share an account with my brother-in-law, right? And he did get the premiere access. I just could not bring myself to watch this on the small screen. It had been so long. I've We've been waiting for Black Widow for years, and then this got pushed back another year. What is another week? Me and my wife watched it this Saturday. My mother was in town helping out with the kids, and we went to the theaters, old school date style, you know, a seat, you know, a empty seat next to me, an empty seat next to Kate, so that way we had a little barrier. You know, we're still a little COVID conscious over here, but man, the sound, the screen, the experiences—I've forgotten what it's like to be back in the theater. And man, it is awesome. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's refreshing to be able to see something like that. You know, as the filmmakers really intended it, these huge sequences. We'll get into it more later, I'm sure. But like, you want to be watching these on a big screen. Not everyone has that capability. I don't have really huge screens in my own home setup. So a lot of my stuff comes from the computer. And I'm really glad that I didn't do it that way either. 
Well, I mean, I, I want to get into that point, the whole big screen of it all, because I think that's very important. Me and you have been talking about three MCU shows that have been that are meant for the small screen, meant for our TVs lately. And I've been surprised at how big those are. Yeah. I think back to Falcon and Winter Soldier opening episode when they're doing the flight chase sequence through the air, through the helicopters with the flight suits. I was like, damn, we talked last week about Loki's fight scenes and how impressed we were. I mean, just the blast, them sending each other into the walls. And I got to say, Adam, those do not touch the fight scenes in Black Widow in my mind. And I don't know, again, if it's the big screen, if it's the budgets, I don't know what it is. But for as big as the small screen has gotten, this, the direction, the focus of this movie, specifically kind of I want to bring together like the locations. We mentioned Budapest. We we mentioned, you know, some of the, the globetrotting spy thriller of it all. But I was on the edge of my seat. Every fight scene, it was just so much more... I could follow it. It had a, each fight scene had its own arc and story, and I thought those were so well done. Yeah, I think that it's a classic example, just like you said, of like the difference between we still you still have a barrier and the difference between film and television and what you're capable of. And I think in large part, based on my personal experience, that's because of the demands of the schedule and just TV. You have way less time to do everything, so you mm-hmm. can't really, you know pull off these elaborate sequences as well. Um, definitely not to the you know extent that they're able to in Black Widow, where they have tons of like pretty big fight sequences with lots of people, lots of moving yes. parts. Those take a long time, not only to film, but just to conceptualize, to rehearse. And mm-hmm. um, honestly, yeah, they did a really good job, I thought, in those fight sequences of being logical because – we got in, I think we're kind of, there's been a market correction, but movies in for a while, all the fight sequences was kind of how fast can you do cuts? And it had such a disorienting effect that I think people sort of started to realize that you need to be able to track action. And I always thought that was a hallmark of like a great battle action sequence is you can tell what's going on. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I think I called that like the born the born identity effect where you have these like handheld cameras really jittery and don't get me wrong I love those movies but I think it got taken to extremes where things happen so fast and your brain is just trying to figure out wait whoa whoa they were just on a rooftop wait okay now they're on a balcony oh wait now they're here and you're just like who's punching who and it's really hard to kind of make sense of it all um as far as, you know, just kind of getting into, like, the action of it, like, did you have a favorite fight scene here? Like, did, well, like, I mean, it was wall-to-wall action. I was surprised. It was constantly going. Was there a favorite, um, whether it's fight scene or just action montage that really stood out to you in this movie? You know, honestly, one of the, my favorite sequences was that very opening scene where, um, Alexi gets the, it is the opening scene. He comes home from work, Red Guardian, and he basically gets the, you know, you start with a young Black Widow and a young Yelena. They're little kids. They're running through their neighborhood in Ohio, having a great little suburban life. Very the Americans vibes. Yeah, absolutely. And you got Rachel Weisz as the mom, and she's just, you know, full mom mode. All seems like a happy family. 
David Harbour comes home from work and he's like, hey, we got today's the day. We got to go. We got an hour. And they basically you find out that they've been planning for this moment. They've been training these little girls to be ready at a moment's notice. They've got a plane in a hangar. It's this really intense sequence. Um, they get chased by kind of, I don't know, some governments, entity, the cops. Yeah. And uh, and they you know barely make it to their next destination. And that's when you kind of like get a little reveal that David Harbour drops his American accent you find out that you know they were basically part of something bigger this whole time and that even though that didn't have like the fights that we were talking about i really liked how that just set the pace of the movie right away and kind of kicked things off a lot of you know you got to get a good action sequence in pretty much as soon as you can in these movies and so i thought that was a really great way to incorporate it yeah i i mean I think what you're calling out there and what I wanted to say is this gave me such Bond vibes. Black Widow gave me such Bond vibes. And we all know Bond always opens with an action scene. I mean, I think of GoldenEye that has kind of like a plane chase kind of like that where they're trying to get off the runway um, at the beginning. And then it opens with those credits, right? The credits were kind of um, some interesting, you know, spy, espionage, Russian propaganda-esque kind of things. And I, I thought that was like kind of leaning into the Bond, which I especially noticed whenever they just like showed Natasha watching Moonrake you know and she's like quoting the lines and that's whenever that kind of genre form kind of clicked into me and then obviously with the mission impossible and the uh, the masks things which we'll kind of get into later but for me i mean like i love taskmaster in the comments uh, comics i've always loved that guy because he has the skull face yeah you know i, I just think his design with the skull face and the hood and the sword and the shield is just so badass. And while I don't know that much about the actual, you know, original comics version of that character, I always just see him fighting Captain America and the Avengers and thought he was dope. The mimic aspect was awesome. Yeah. And that fight scene when he, you first introduce him on the bridge where Natasha does her classic Black Widow, legs wrap around the neck, tries to flip him. She Taskmaster then reverses it and uses the legs around the neck and flips her back. And then you see the mimic powers start to manifest themselves yeah. as they like kip up at the same time. And then, you know, pulling out the Captain America shield. Later, she does the Black Panther claws, the Hawkeye bow and arrow. I was just loving that. I, I kind of wish they would have leaned more into that. But that bridge fight scene, I thought was just so awesome. And that's whenever I was like, this is on another level of like what we've seen in the TV. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's something that I wanted to bring up at some point. Yeah. Is, you know, where are you feeling? Where are your feelings right now versus the Marvel TV versus, and the Marvel movies? I, I was going to go right there with you. And for me, one of my big takeaways was, good Lord, I love movies. <laughs> and the reason is... I, I don't necessarily like have to think about it so much. I mean, like, like Marvel is the TV shows. It is exciting as a comics fan. And I read comics for the serialized nature of it. You know what I mean? I go to comics to get those, you know, story of the month. You know, it's, it's each month in comics. But whenever it comes to the films, the conciseness, the focus, just how, um, and then the, so it, it's small in scope because it's two hours, but it's large in scale because they 
again, the budgets and they're doing so much and they have to pack in so much character work into those two hours. So, you know, you could have had a Black Widow show that would have spanned six hours and we would have got more Yelena Belova and, you know, the Red Guardian and all these people, but they pack in those to these supercharged emotional scenes that I think work well. And I'm just a movie guy, bro. I loved it. And, and again, like, you walk out of the theater and you're like, yep, there's Black Widow. Will we see another? Maybe, you know, may- maybe not. You know, we're obviously going to get more Yelena as another widow at some point. But I just love the kind of finality of it. I love the ending of it. I just, I, I, I'm, I'm a movie fan. Yeah, I, I think I'm pretty much with you across the board. You know, I do like how they're able to maybe dive into a little more character work in some of the TV shows. Obviously, I loved Loki. But at the yep. end of the day, I'm a movies guy myself, um, even though I think people would laugh that we say we talk about the endings because Marvel is all about just like keeping things going. But they yeah. do have endings. They actually are really they good do. at wrapping up their individual movies. And yet they set it up for the next thing. But I think it's a really effective storytelling um, technique. And it's kind of a Marvel hallmark. I think I mentioned this in an earlier pod, but I heard someone talk about how the movies are essentially a serialized story told in two and a half hour yes. segments. And I thought that was a great, you know, way to look at the Marvel approach to things. And um, yeah, I love the pace of everything. Like you said, the scale, you can just do a lot more in the movies in that way. But I will say that our friends that I'm staying with right now, Chris and Celia, they've just done like a deep dive on the MCU. They have watched everything in the MCU um, in like the past week, basically. It's insane, except for they had been watching the TV shows as they were coming out earlier this year, too. And they said they're kind of, you know, not dialed into the comics world like we are, but they both said that they prefer the TV shows to the movies. And um, I think part of it is the way that you consume it, you know, whether or not you're focused locked in watching every moment versus kind of just having it on um the movie demands you focus on it especially if you go to a theater to see something it demands your attention and just a different experience but i thought that was really interesting and i think that maybe it's just a little more um approachable for non comic readers the people who aren't you know the the monthly or who have a big history to come into those TV shows because they feel like they can get a sense of what's going on a little bit more than the movies where it's just the pace is kind of breakneck speed. Yeah. And and I'll say they're also a little bit, you know, I know they've seen a couple of them, but they're doing a, you know, deep rewatch now. And I think that they're, first of all, they're watching them all at home on the small screen. So they're not seeing them big, which I think is, is, you know, telling in a bit because it does make a difference. Um, but two, they're also not getting the experience of that opening night or opening weekend experience whenever you see the portals open and the Avengers come out and everybody is just cheering. Whenever you're a part of the sort of cultural consciousness of these things, whenever it's the water cooler talk at your work, whenever you're, everybody is texting you, did you see that? Can we talk about it? You know, Can we talk about spoilers? That sort of feeling of is so supercharged in the movies where 
and this is not an original idea, I'd heard this on another podcast I listened to, but if Black Widow was a television show, we would have been talking about who is Taskmaster for the past six weeks. We would have been, who is she, who is she or who is he? And we would have been speculating, and Reddit message boards would have been going off, and it would have been kind of exhausting, yes. because it does, it wasn't, the reveal was, was cool, and it worked, but Ultimately, it doesn't matter. And it's the same thing with like the power broker and these Agatha all along things. It, it doesn't, and Kang, it doesn't like matter. And, and like the theorizers can theorize all they want, but it's all about the emotion on what it tells on the screen. And um, the way that the fans kind of co-op storytelling and um, especially these mysteries, you know, that rubs that rubs against me a little bit because that's not in my nature. But, um, you know, I thought just as it unfolds, your brain is just working along with it. The mask switcheroo I thought was awesome. And then whenever you you get the reveal on who Taskmaster is as the daughter that um, of the evil baddie that Black Widow had been, you know, beating herself up overall movie, you know, I thought it worked and I thought it hit home really well. So it, it, it wasn't something that needed to be dragged out. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad that we didn't have to have weeks and weeks of speculating who Taskmaster was. And um, yeah, I think that's one of the things that becomes exhausting about the TV shows and like just the nature of their storytelling. And like you said, a lot of the fans co-opt these stories and they sort of miss the point that it doesn't really yes. matter, you know, who the task, like, who the taskmaster is. The point is that it got black widow to go on this journey. And that's the whole yes. reason. Like this is, you know, yes. in the film, they call it a MacGuffin. It doesn't matter what it is. It can just be a completely made up thing, but it is the reason that the hero goes on the journey. You know, it's the Ark of the covenant. It doesn't matter if he actually gets yes. the Ark of the covenant or what that can do. It's the fact that he has to go somewhere, overcome all these obstacles, have some personal growth. And that's why it's important. Well, all right. Everything you're saying to me is kind of what makes Black Widow so unique because I think so many people argue that, oh, this is, you know, the Marvel movies are just setting up the next movie and this is just setting up the Hawkeye series and this is just setting up this and it's always just, you know, a prequel to the next thing, which right. which I am very, very against and I thought this by itself is so interesting because this kicks off phase four but it's set backwards in time. I wanted you to talk about that a little bit. So obviously when this film starts, Black Widow had already died in Endgame. Right. We know what becomes of her. So this is a little flashback, a little corner of the MCU that we didn't see already. How did that work versus it being like released like in the middle of Civil War chronologically when this took place? You know, I think it's a little tough because we can play the what if game all day. Right. And I, I would like to do that in this another pod. Okay. We'll have <laughs> yeah. our own Marvel's what if. Where and, and, and I wonder, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt you real fast. I wonder if Chris and Celia, again, if they're going to watch it chronologically, like right after Civil War. And I wonder if that would like, if, if that's how people would watch it in the future. Well, okay. To spoiler alert, they finished all the movies Last night okay. we watched Endgame, except they haven't seen Black Widow because they were like, we want to go. We don't really want to rent it. We ju we'll just go see it in theaters. Because I was like, you should just go oh. see it in theaters. That's yes, I, I recommended yes. it. And I was like, just go see it in theaters. Yes. And they know that it's kind of you know outside of that timeline and it's the phase yep. four. So it, it kind of makes sense to see it now, I think. Um, right. But yeah, so um, yeah, I I think that... 
so I don't know how it would have played out, but the point is that this is like a Black Widow story and not so much of a Marvel Universe story for the most part. I love what you're saying. Because they wanted, we wanted to find out more about Black Widow and her own personal struggles. So really you can have it take place whenever, I think, because her personal journey hadn't really been explored in the the Marvel, you know, films at large. And so that's why I think it, it works now. Okay. Here's one thing though. Okay. Is that for a Black Widow film, and I think this is part of the prop, the, the, the issue with where it comes, I felt like I didn't get as much Black Widow as I wanted. And I think that part of it was because they were thinking, okay, we need to have this story, yes, work as a Black Widow story, but it still needs to work in the MCU and potentially set something up and provide some value to what we're doing moving forward. So by that nature, they have to service these other characters that they're going to introduce for the first times, like Yelena Belova, like Alexi, like the other Black Widow, Rachel Weisz's character. And I love getting to know all them, but you took a lot of time away from Black Widow. And I was just Mm -hmm. kind of, at the end of it, I thought, you know, I wanted more Scarlett Johansson, my girl Scarlett. You you know, I think we had the same takeaway, but almost different reactions because I thought the same thing. I was like, you know, that was surprisingly little Black Widow. And I I know they mentioned this is not an origin story. This is not a superhero origin story. This takes place far after she has become Black Widow. But it was kind of a Yelena Belova Widow origin story to a degree. And, And again, to your point, I think those, her family introducing each of them and the time it takes to kind of establish their individual um, relationships with each other, the kid's sister, the goofy dad, you know, the ultra serious is can she be trusted mother? I thought, um, you know, that took a lot of time. And, but having said that, I wasn't really wishing for more Black Widow. I think Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow is very kind of dry to a degree. And, and I, And, you know, again, this is a spy movie, so it's not like it's just like this comedy. I think David Harbour, you know, shouldered a lot of the comedy, which I thought he was fantastic. But, um, you know, it was serious. Like, this movie was, like, really serious. And a lot of these issues and struggles and things they were talking about were intense. And tying it back to sort of what we knew. And I remember Age of Ultron, Whenever that's whenever we sort of get the Black Widow origin of the Red Room. We learn about like, you know, there's like the ballet sequences and we learn about the hysterectomy and she thinks she's a monster, which, you know, they've kind of dialed, you've kind of backpedaled on that in this movie. Um, But I thought, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think it served her really well. And I know it's kind of a shame that she was one of the few deaths, uh, really only deaths now because Loki and Vision are brought back. So she's kind of like the only true death at the end of Endgame. But um, yeah, uh, I just Iron thought Man? the baton... Ugh, duh. I, <laughs> I just thought the baton pass kind of worked um, well. And I still think she had so many moments in the sun that I I, I, I thought it worked fine. But I hear you. I do too. I I think it was a good baton pass and I think that she was still well served. Like it wasn't, you know, a failure at all. I just would have liked even more. I kind of thought 
I wonder what a movie would have been like about her leaving uh, the Black Widows or whatever and joining up with S.H.I.E.L.D. So like if at the end of the movie, she's now working for Nick Fury or whatever, and she meets Hawkeye in this movie or something. Hawkeye, because she always talks about how Hawkeye like saved her, basically. Yeah, that kind of was just, cool. It's yeah, too late to about do that, that now, obviously, but yeah. I Well, we'll see, I, I don't think so. And and I was kind of thinking about it, and that's something I admired so much about this film, is it kind of doesn't matter in the MCU grand, like, you know, if I don't watch that, am I going to be missing something? I would answer no. Like, like you'll get a little Yelena introduction, you'll get her again in Hawkeye, it doesn't matter. But I thought the character studies, and I thought this was an opportunity for them to dive backwards in time. And I think about this in comics so much because you know, this whole point of does it matter? Does it matter to the timeline? Does this matter to the main thing? And I know we talked about that last week where Loki had massive ramifications and it did matter in a big way. But I think this provides an opportunity to then do these character studies and go back and and tell these little stories on here's what they were doing then and here's what they were doing then. And I could see them just doing another spy movie with Black Widow and Hawkeye if they wanted to. The new stuff that's going to matter is going to be Yelena and Lady Hawkeye coming next in the next film. Those are going to be what matters. But then you could just tell these character stories, these spy thrillers, and you go back and do a Hawkeye and Black Widow prequel. That'd be dope. And I think they should. And I think they should not be afraid to sort of go backwards and just tell stories. If you have a story to tell, don't force it into the timeline that matters. Just go tell a story. Like, like go tell a story. And if you want to tell a story back in time, go tell a story back in time. I agree. And honestly, I think like I said, maybe it's too late to do that now. But I take that back because really, you shouldn't even worry about we can cast new actors and have them play different roles at the same time that something is happening in the larger MCU. And I think yes. it'll work. I feel like DC is about to really tread into this territory with having like kind of different Batmans existing and maybe not connecting at all. And I'm pretty sure it's going to work. Yes. But yes, it, no, no. It, yeah, no, that's, that's actually fascinating. I mean, I think the IP machine of Disney has shown that they're not afraid to really go back yeah. and mine the depths of their IP, you know, like beat a, beating a Star Wars dead horse. But um, at, at the same time, they have such a good thing going forward. Um, and, you know, we're all still in the dark on what is phase four or five, six going to look like. But I just thought this was such an interesting use case of Let's do these stories of maybe deeper unserved characters. And they've done that with the TV shows. They've they've really shown a spotlight, but so far they've always been in the main moving forward timeline. And this is the first we get a little backstory. All right. Um, something else I wanted to just call out and let's just uh, hit it up. What do you think of Yelena as the new widow? Do you think she'll be the new kind of black widow? What did you think of Florence Pugh, um, her introduction in this film? She was great. I liked her a lot. I mean, she has a ton of charisma. Um, I have not seen Florence Pugh in anything else. I didn't see Midsummer yet. Sorry. Uh, I've heard her name a ton, and I know that she has a lot of buzz around her. I know that Blaine loved Little Women. She actually got nominated for an Academy Award for that, and I just heard a ton about her. So it's a huge get for Marvel because um, a lot of times, you know, they're kind of discovering and they sort of like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy if they make the next huge star. But she was yes. kind of already becoming a big star when they nabbed her 
seemed like. So good job, Marvel. She's great. I think she's going to do a really good job carrying it. I like her like humor. She's really funny. Yes. And I think that she was mm-hmm. nailing that really well. I always have a hard time with some of these Russian accents. They're just silly and I can't really take them seriously. And they kind of just like fade in and out, I feel like. But um, it's hard for me to dog that on like put that all on Florence Pugh because pretty much everyone in this movie does that. But mm-hmm. um, she was fun. What do you think? How, how do you think she compares to Scarlet? Um, I, I think she has just the kid sister vibe yeah. that it works so well. You know, she's traumatized in sort of different ways where um, Natasha kind of she shoulders her past because, you know, what I, I don't know this. There was a lot of revealing about. Black Widow in this movie, one that she kind of abandoned her family. I mean, you know, I think that's something Yelena keeps saying is, why didn't you come back for me? Why didn't you come back for me? And then we also find out that she, you know, essentially kills a child and she's been, you know, shouldering that burden for a long time. But I just think there's always something about Natasha in these films that have always been so sad and broken and not very hopeful. And I think that was sort of capitalized really well. And it turned whenever her and Hulk, Bruce Banner, started to form a relationship. And I thought that was a really high point yeah. for her character, is really finding the hopefulness again. Um, and again, like at the end of Endgame, I think there were some good touching moments with Hawkeye. They've always had a good thing going, like whenever they... I think a lot of that work was done in Age of Ultron. Um but I do think Elena just has that chipper, younger sister, sweetness, optimism. She's a little bit comedic. She's a little bit goofy. And her trauma is a little bit different because she wasn't in control. And she has this sort of, I don't know who I am. I, you know, I was mind controlled. And it's like, you're in your body, but you also know that somebody else is controlling your body and not knowing who you are. Do you think, okay, let's... Take a quick stroll over to the conspiracy corner. Do you think she's going to eventually have a connection with Hawkeye because he was mind controlled by Loki in the first Avengers? Oh, like like what connection? I didn't even put that together. Explain, explain. I want to hear. I want to hear what okay, you got. Well, so the end of Black Widow, right? Mid yes. classic Marvel mid credit scene. Yes. She's at the grave. Yelena's at the Black Widow grave and, you know, having a moment. Her tender moment is completely deflated by, I can't even remember her character's name. It's Julie Louis. Contessa Valentina de la Fontaine. Yes. I I, I wrote it down because it's so long. Contessa Valentina de la Fontaine blows her nose and just, like, completely cuts this emotional moment. It's really funny. And then she um, recruits her to come work for her. You might also remember that she recruited uh, John Walker. John Walker, yes, and to be the U.S. agent or government That's agent. That's right. People are theorizing this is some sort of either Dark Avengers or Thunderbolts uh, team. But the way that she gets Yelena to go on board is she says, oh, I know who killed the Black Widow, and she gives her a picture of Hawkeye. So. Yeah. She's going to be involved in the new Hawkeye series, you know, to probably a large extent. And in the first Avengers, Hawkeye, for most of the movie, is under the control of Loki, who has, you know, like enchanted him or whatever with the the Tesseract. And and he was really obviously pretty messed up by it and talks about having someone, you know, like in your brain – Maybe oh, a little connection between yes. him and Yelena that can kind of, I don't know, help uh, ease the tension or something. 
Dude, I love that theory, and I t- I kind of totally forgot that, and that makes a lot of sense. Is is kind of a little commiserating on, uh, you know, we each have that same trauma of doing bad things, not you know, with our own will, you know, being controlled to do stuff. So, I, I love that. I-, I didn't even see that connection, but that's fascinating. Just thought of it. So maybe when we do our Hawkeye beyond the panels, we'll have to see if I was right or not. C- circle back. We'll double check that for sure. Um. All right, something else. The directing on this. This is done by Kate Shortland, okay? So I wanted to call her out because there's a moment at the end and I want to, you know, we talked about Bond, we talked about Bourne, we talked about Mission Impossible, but there is an element when they're at the evil henchman's lair up in the sky, very Moonraker-esque, and there's the henchman standing by the Taskmaster, and then it's Natasha face-to-face with Drakov there, as he's explaining his evil plan. And I just thought that was so Bond-esque. She's unable to um, attack him because of the pheromones. I just love that sequence so much. And then it ended so well and visually striking. And this is something that I was just thought was incredible when there's this projector and it's all smoky and it's all these red lasers kind of over the room. And then all the widows converge and there's this sick like widow fight scene against Natasha and they have all these cool weapons and stuff like that. That scene was like, okay, this is really doing something special for me. That was <clears throat> that was a great scene and... That made me kind of want more of like Natasha when she was a Black Widow because I wanted to see them working as a huge team and being like this super efficient group of assassins that can just handle anything. It kind of gave me and I wanted a way longer sequence of that battle. I was like, give me a full on ridiculous crazy crazy 88 style scene. Yes. and yeah, but that was one of the best scenes in the movie for sure. And at that point, you're just like, you're the energy is so high. They've really built it up. And yeah, I love that they leaned into the Bond vibes all the way around. Just, you know, having the Russian presence kind of kind of lends itself towards that. And, you know, she's a spy. So why wouldn't you do spy stuff? I also find it funny that you know, I feel like Marvel maybe goes to the well with this a few times where they are going. Why we? How come we couldn't discover it in the past? And they go, well, because it's up in the sky. It's like that's where like yeah. Shields' first like home base was, and it was just like, yeah, okay, great, we'll just hide everything in the sky. Yeah, yeah, it was a little goofy, but also like that kind of like fantastical spy thriller where it's like they try to make everything make sense, and then every once in a while you just see some tech that's just so absurd. Yeah. You know, it's like this can only be in a movie. Um, another thing I wanted to call out, uh, and again, I think there's a really awesome female touch on this in this film. Um, again, I, I think uh, Scarlett had a really heavy hand. She's a producer here, and I know this was kind of a passion project for her. I mentioned Kate Shortland. But calling this out there, best hair in the MCU movies, those braids on Yelena and then seeing Black Widow have the side braids and then obviously the mom that just had this sick like like braid bun all around. And I'm not like a – I don't usually pay attention to stuff like that, but I just thought that was just a nice touch. Is something that would be totally overlooked if it was kind of a male director, just kind of that that vibe wasn't on. But I love the sort of – you know, female forward of this and and just best hair in MCU. That's all I got to say. Best hair, incredible hair. 
I mean, I would give second place to maybe Kurt Russell in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 because that <laughs> flow is legit. But yeah, this hair is incredible. Um, yeah, great feminine touch, great female touch. I love, I really love the Yelena, Natasha sister moments. As a person who has two sisters, I have two older sisters. It felt very real, their dynamic, um, sort of their competitive nature, but also their, you know, kind of joking nature. I love how she wanted to, how Yelena wanted to impress um, uh, Natasha with her vest. She was like, I knew you liked it. I knew it. And I thought that was so funny and just such a real moment that it just, you know, I was glad that whoever was in charge made that decision. Yeah, and, and and it's so funny because it's just one of these little things. Is whenever you go backwards in time, you can insert these little things because that's the vest that Natasha shows up in, I think, in Infinity War. Yeah. And so she just wears it in like a throwaway scene. And it's like now you go back and watch that movie and it has so much meaning to it. It's just like one of those little, you know, you start inserting meaning into these characters and they inform the bigger picture in more ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I love that about it. Are you going to start practicing your, your braiding techniques for yeah. Fiona? and Dylan? A hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. Got two daughters over here and um, like David Harbour, you know, Alexi, I'm a proud papa and you better believe <laughs> I'm going to be braiding those girls here. Talk about David Harbour because he was, he, I, talk about him a little bit. He's just like a big, you know, he's like this Russian fuzzy bear that you just like, he has such funny dad vibes. I love th- his juxtaposition of trying to have these really dramatic you know, heartfelt moments, but he's just ridiculous. Like he can't help himself from just like say something offensive or horrible. And they're kind of always cut down with like, you know, one of the, one of the black widows just being like, Oh, come on, man. Like, and, uh, but he's just, he's so genuine in his, you know, like, you know, desire to please. And, and, you know, he really had a great father figure vibe to him. I love David Harbour. I don't even watch Uh, stranger things. And I think he's incredible. I I love that so much. And I think there was a sort of a choice there on where they could have really downplayed the sort of Ohio family element like Natasha wanted to do. She was like, that was all fake. We're not even real family. And Yelena was just, I love that quote. She's like, no, don't say that. It's like, it was real to me. You are my real mother. You are my real sister. And I thought that moment really hit home for me because of the way David Harbour especially embraced each of the widows as his family. Like he was still very much in love with the wife and he loved his daughters and the way he approached them was always, you know, goofy and wrongheaded and needed to be corrected in a lot of ways to comedic effect. But you could tell that the love was there and I thought he did so good. And whenever, like, I think there's a moment where you see him run and you just see his belly just bouncing. And I was like, good Lord, he really went for it in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, he had it like they all have crazy fit, fitness regiments, and I guess he just went like the the ice cream route or something. <laughs> yeah, the exact. Uh, they're all in the gym, and he's in the kitchen, just yeah. just shoveling that ice cream home, baby. I could have used, you know, I could have used a little more um, Rachel Weisz. Well, all if right, we were talking about the family members. Yeah, d- d- yeah, Rachel Weisz. Um, I got to say though, that pig uh, strangle scene, pretty brutal to watch. Yeah, that was pretty hardcore. But, but but I mean, that's what unsettled her because then whenever there was kind of the turn on like, oh shit, she's the bad guy with that sick like mascara makeup, it, it kind of made sense because you're like, oh yeah, well she could, she almost killed the pig, she, the pig, she's heartless. Yeah. Um, but no, I, yeah, I, I love Rachel Weisz. 
She's great. Ever since the mummy. Ever since the mummy. Um, all right. Well, I think that's going to about wrap it up for this episode. Um, that was Black Widow. Again, we do these beyond the panels because we love the movies and the TV that are inspired by the comics we love. One thing I wanted to call out real fast is there is a run of Black Widow by Mark Wade and Chris Samney that I highly recommend. If this this movie left you wanting more Black Widow content, go check that run out specifically. It opens with this sick like chase scene and Black Widow just jumps out the um, this shield helicarrier and there's this zoom out shot, this two page spread where you see this helicarrier and she's just this tiny little speck jumping out the window. And I was getting vibes of that so hard when she jumps out of the, you know, Moonraker spy base, the the red room at the very end there. And that free falling fight scene at the end, I thought, oh man, I love that. Love it. Read more Black Widow. I haven't checked that out. That sounds awesome. Dude, go hit it up. I'm pretty sure it's... Yeah, it's a short run in Mark and uh, Chris Samney. His art is just exquisite. But that's going to wrap it up for this Beyond the Panels of Comic Club. We hope you'll join us next time. So that's going to be it. Adam? Comic Club out. Comic Club is brought to you from Upper Esh Media. This episode was edited by Adam J. Cook. Our intro and outro music is by Tiger Cup. Katie Livingston at Living Kate designed our logo. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on social at Comic Club Podcast, and join our Facebook group to continue the conversation online. Remember, everyone, read more comics. Comic Club.